0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Salem Chapel. Uh, If you want to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians uh, chapter 6, that's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, Man, I love that song. It's one of my favorite songs that we sing. Um, I was listening to it this morning on the drive here uh, to church, and so anytime I see it on a set list, I'm like, yes, thank you. I love that song. Such a great song. If If you don't know the title, the title is Highlands. Um, and so if you've got a music subscription, you can just uh, enter that in the search and you'll come across it. Man, such a great song to have in your playlist. Well, as I said, if you're new here, my name's Johnny Pereira. I'm the lead pastor here. I have the privilege of, of being that here at Salem Chapel. If it's your first time, man, thank you so much for coming into a place that you've never been before. I know that's not easy. If you're watching us online, thank you so much for tuning in, and uh, we are glad that you are with us here worshiping at Salem Chapel. I'm going to get right into it this morning, because we have a lot to cover as we have been in this series, and let me just set that up for just a moment for some of you who may be new. Uh, you see the title of the series behind me, Weapons of War. Like, that can sound, like, re- really intimidating, can it not? Like, if you're like, man, w- what, are, what are we talking about? Um, But we're dealing with Ephesians chapter six and here's what I know, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ for any length of time, especially if you grew up in the church, immediately when you hear about the armor of God, visually something comes to your mind. Like for me, uh, I mean, I'm a pastor's kid, I was born in the church, I feel like every time the doors were open, I was there. So for me, when I hear armor of God or Ephesians chapter six, I think of a flannel graph board, Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. Uh, Some of you, some of you who don't, just don't worry about it. But it uh, it was just this felt stuff that they would put on. And I remember when I think of armor of God, I think about the Sunday school teachers that I had that put on this Roman soldier and then we had these pieces of armor that we would have to place where it went on the soldier. So we all got a visual if we've grown up in church. And so that's not a bad thing. But here's what oftentimes can happen. We look at a passage like Ephesians chapter 6, and we can easily, though not mentally, maybe check out a little bit. But I think it's so important that we remind ourselves, and it's what we've been going after every week in this series since we started it a few weeks ago, that we're in a spiritual battle, that there is a real thing called spiritual warfare. That as we've looked at when we walk through the book of John, or if you remember when we did that, we came to John 10.10, 10, that Jesus says that we have an enemy that comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And that's a reality as a follower of Jesus Christ every day of your life. And too often we fail to remind ourselves that we have an enemy who is after stealing what is good in our life, killing what is good in our life, destroying what is good in our life. But thankfully, we've been given something through Jesus Christ. And so, as I mentioned when we started out this series, Paul is writing to this church at Ephesus, this church that is in a very wealthy part of the Mediterranean, Very wealthy, it's a port city, Uh, so, so you have a church that exists in a city that is used to a lot of wealth because you have goods coming in and they're going out. You also have a city that that is very much, you worship whatever God you want to. If you have another God, tell me about him. I'd like to add him to my repertoire. And so you you had a society in which this church existed that very much so, saying there was only one true God would have been taboo at least, would have been offensive at best. And the reason why we pointed that out is just to illustrate that the times that we live in, in many ways, are not any different than the times that Paul is living in and writing to this church. So when he talks about that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against authorities and principalities, as we will read here in a second, he's writing to a church that had been very familiar with the occult because many of them worshiped it. And so for these people, they didn't have to be convinced that there was evil powers at work but what Paul did need to convince them of and remind them of is that they have been given everything, as Second Peter says, to live a life of godliness through Jesus Christ. See, when we think about Ephesians, Ephesians 1 through 3, Paul lays out everything that a believer has been given in Jesus Christ, all the blessings of salvation. Chapters 4 through 6, how does that make a difference in my everyday life, in my relationship, in my personal walk, my relationship with others, in my marriage, with my kids, with those who work for me, with those that I work for? And so now he wraps up this letter to the church of Ephesus and he uses the analogy, the illustration of the armor of God to strive after, to get after the reality that yes, we have been given everything by God through Jesus Christ, but there is a personal responsibility to live into what I've been given, which is why we said the point of this series is to answer this question, how do you, how do I stand firm in the battle that we're facing? I want you to think about this right now, and it's probably not going to take a lot of initiative on your part mentally, but I want you to think about the battle that you're facing today. The reason why I say it probably doesn't take much to think about it is because you've been thinking about it ever since you walked in here. You were thinking about it before you walked in here. You're thinking about it yesterday. You were thinking about the day before that. Some of you have been thinking about it for years, months, weeks, maybe just yesterday, maybe this morning, but I want you to think about that as you think about that, I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 6. We're actually going to read verses 10 through 16, but I just want to read verse 10 and then I'm going to stop where Paul says this, finally, as I wrap up this entire letter to you, church at Ephesus, finally, don't forget this, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So let's take off that passage now. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Strong in the Lord, not yourself. The strength of his might, not yours. But how often do we do that, right? I think of the passage of Scripture that speak to the strength that we have in the Lord and the power that we have in him. My favorite psalm in all the Bible, Psalm 27. Remember? We walked through the Psalm 27. Remember when COVID first happened? I know you don't want to go back there, but, but just stick with me. Remember, remember, I mean, we kicked off that series. I remember, because I, I was talking to a screen without any of your faces in here. I remember it vividly. Remember we memorized that psalm together, Psalm 27 verse 1, "The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid?" When evildoers came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, yet I will be confident. Why? Because I can be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Isaiah 54, 17, where the prophet Isaiah says to the children of Israel, no weapon formed against you will succeed. Why? Because we have the strength of the Lord and the power of his might John 10:10 10, 10, I just mentioned it the enemy comes to steal to kill and destroy but Jesus says I've come that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly why is that true because we can be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might 1 John 4:4 4, 4, same apostle who writes the gospel of John says this that we are overcomers Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Why? Because this morning I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, just like Paul is telling the church at Ephesus, that we can be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Why? Because as we said at the beginning of this series, as followers of Jesus, we fight from a place of victory. So when I think about whatever battle it is that I'm facing, I need to remind myself of these three words. Jesus has won. Can you say those three words with me? Ready, say them together. Jesus has won. Say it one more time. Jesus has won. I want you to think about your battle right now that I just asked you to think about just a few minutes ago. You got it in the forefront of your mind? Now say those three words with me again. Jesus has won. Now look at verse 11. So what's my responsibility then? How do I fight from a place of victory? I put on the whole armor of God that I may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Why? Why? For we, for you, for me, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. None of us need to be reminded, needed to be reminded, but unfortunately were again over the last few weeks with just all the evil that we have seen in this world. Satan and his demons are at play in this world. So what's our response? We'll look at verse 13. Therefore, take up, once again, not some, but the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore. Stand is mentioned four times in the first three verses. Having fastened on the belt of truth the security that's found, and knowing that truth exists. In a world where it's about your truth and my truth and no absolute truth, that as followers of Jesus, there's stability and there's security in the reality that we do have truth. And it's God's truth. And all the rest of the armor hangs on the belt of truth. Because after all, if I can't believe that God's word is true, then what do I say about my salvation? What do I say about any hope that I can have today, let alone for all of eternity? So every day I remind myself the truth that I have Given to me by God in His Word through Jesus Christ. What else do I have? And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness that has been given to me by God through Jesus Christ, that when God sees me, He sees me as righteous. And out of appreciation and gratitude, I am called to live righteously, putting on that righteousness every day so that I can live righteously. What else? Well, in verse 15, we have these shoes of peace, the gospel of peace. What are we looking for every day? Peace. Verse 16, and this is where we are. In all circumstances. How many circumstances? All. Take up the shield of faith. You know what I love about that phrase, in all circumstances? There's never a time that I shouldn't be taking up the shield of faith. And we're gonna talk about what we mean by that with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Here's the title of the message, just simply this, your shield of faith. What's our shield of faith as followers of Jesus Christ? Because here's the idea that I really want you to get this morning, that we're going to kind of unpack for the rest of our time. It's this, that your faith, my faith in the Lord Shields you, it shields me against what? Against the, the destruction that Satan is aiming to launch into your life. That is Satan and his demons' desires to launch destruction. Into your life. Paul just happens to illustrate it by saying the fiery darts or arrows of the enemy. Now, here's what you need to understand when it says the shield of faith it's not speaking of the faith that it takes to be saved, what you did in order to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, believing, having faith that his perfect life, his perfect death, his resurrection was sufficient for you to have a relationship with God and a home in heaven. Do you need that to possess the armor of God? Yes, you do. But it's not talking about saving faith. It's talking about how you live out that faith. How I utilize that faith in the battle that I am in. It's very A shield is very much a defensive weapon. And that's the idea. That my faith, as I exercise it based on who God is in relationship to me, It guards me, it shields me, whatever word you want to use protects me against what? Against the fiery darts aimed at me. What is Satan's darts aimed at? What's aimed at my mind? What I think about? It's aimed at my emotions, what I'm feeling, how I'm feeling, how those feelings affect what I think. It's also aimed at my will what I'm choosing to do or not do. And I think if we unpack this idea about our faith in the Lord and its ability to shield us from Satan's uh, desire to attack us and to destroy us and to kill us, I think there's three important questions that we gotta answer this morning. I'm a simple thinker. Like I'm like, let's put the cookies on the bottom shelf. That's how I think. And so if I'm looking at this verse, I just want to answer three questions that I would ask that I believe are essential for us understanding the implications of this shield of faith in what we're facing. Here's the first question. What are the fiery arrows of Satan? What are they? And we could take, I mean, hours just asking everyone, hey, what's a, what's a fiery arrow of the enemy? And you could say, well, it's fear. I mean, I'm uh, anxiety, worry, depression, anger, loss. We could go on and on and on. But here's what you need to understand, first of all, contextually, on Paul using this analogy of fiery arrows. Like, how are they actually used in battle during the time that Paul is writing this? Because this was a common thing that that armies would use. There's really three purposes why fiery arrows were used, and I think you can see the correlation to how that relates in our lives. First of all, they were used to intimidate and frighten. Like, after all, if you see arrows that are flaming raining down on you, the best of men or women would be afraid, right? They also did this. They caused units to break apart and scatter. Because if you could get the unit to scatter, then you also were affecting the strength of the unit. And here's the third thing. They were designed to destroy, to burn up the things that they hit. Those are really the three purposes Of these fiery arrows. So I thought to myself, well, I can't really shoot off fiery arrows in this place for obvious reasons. So, what's the next best thing? Well, you got Nerf, right? So, that's the next best thing. So, if you're sleeping this morning, you are at a grave disadvantage because here's the first arrow, that I think we can categorize Satan's arrows with these four things. And these are not new to many of you if you spend any time in the discipleship things that we do, whether life groups or restore or any of those things. These categories are mentioned, but I think they're good categories that we can put all of the things that you may be feeling into one of these categories. Here's the first arrow. It is Satan's arrow of deception. Good catch. Good catch. See, what we need to understand is Satan and his demons want to do this. They want to deceive you. You. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Deceive you. I mean, you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and what do you find Satan saying to Adam and Eve in the garden? He says these words, did God, if you know what I'm about to say, say it with me, did God actually... Say, there's rarely a time in my life on a daily basis where that thought does not come across my mind. Did God actually say that? Yes, he did. Yeah, I get, I, I know what I just read, but did God actually say that? Why do we think that? Because the Satan is spoken as a deceiver. He wants to deceive us, deceive us into thinking, what? I think he really is after this, to deceive you into thinking that you can be a better God of your life than God your Father. Now I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand how many of you have thought that, but I'll raise my hand for you, because I've thought that at times. Really, God? Like, I really think that this thing and the way that I want to do it is much better than what you seem to be doing, so I'm going to believe that I can be a better God in this situation, lower G, than you can, uppercase G. Satan's about deception, deceiving you into thinking that you can live your way and your way is better than God's way. If you're thinking that, hear me on this, that is one of the arrows that the enemy is shooting at you, because I promise you, the Holy Spirit will never be saying that to you. How about this one? Everybody's awake now. You got only not Satan's arrow of deception, but you also have this thing called Satan's arrow of distraction. Distraction. You're like, Johnny, I'm distracted. Well, that's my arrow, but nevertheless, that Satan's arrow of distraction. Think about, think about all the things that are coming at us, and oftentimes, they're not bad things. Right? Busyness. I rarely talk to someone today, how are you doing? And what is the oftentimes the response? Busy. Busy. And sometimes it's not a matter of busyness, it's just a matter of priorities. But oftentimes, what does the devil do? Man, he shoots his arrows of distraction. Sometimes it's manifested out of comfort and convenience. We're distracted by that. Well, if it doesn't ask too much, I'll do it. If it doesn't cost too, me too much, I'll do it. If it doesn't interfere with what I want to do, then I'll do it How about this one Got Satan's arrow and maybe this is many of us Satan's arrow of discouragement I'll stay it up there <laughs> Satan's arrow of discouragement Yeah, man, for some of us right now, those are raining down on us like the rain itself. Right? How long is this going to last? Will it ever get better? How much more can I take? And this morning, you're like, Johnny, I'm supposed to take up this shield of faith? Oh, I'm just getting pelted with discouragement. And what I want you to know is that doesn't come from the Lord that comes from the enemy. Why? Because we're in a spiritual battle. And oftentimes here's what happens: it's we're getting pelted with one of those or all three of those, then there's also another arrow, and it's the arrow of division. It's the arrow of division. You know how many times I've seen it, even in my own life, that when I'm when I'm lowering my shield of faith and I'm getting hit with all of these arrows, I don't want to spend time in God's word. And I don't want to hear about you who is. I separate myself from people who care about me, who love me, who are going to tell me what I need to hear out of love. But I don't want to hear that. I don't want to be around that. So what happens? Division sets in. I'm getting pelted with that. I don't want to be in God's word. I don't want to be with God's people. See, if we're ever going to understand the significance of the shield of faith, we first have to understand the tactics of the enemy and what is he shooting at us. But here's the second question I think we need to answer. How do you know you're being hit? Like this morning, how do I know? If I've lowered my shield and I'm just literally full of arrows, how do I even know that? Because here's what I've found in my life. Sometimes I'm not completely self aware to know holy cow, I got my back riddled with deception and distraction and discouragement and division. If you're married this morning and you want to know, I'm not saying this jokingly either, ask your spouse you've got kids that are older in your home, ask your kids. They will tell you. See, here's how I think we can know we're being hit with the arrows of the enemy. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. But I think about even my own life when there's been times where I've consciously lowered my shield. And you find yourself significantly battling with Doubts. Like, don't raise your hand, but you're even thinking to yourself, man, like, I don't even like being a Christian. Like, I don't even like this anymore. Probably being hit with some arrows. And I don't say that in a shameful way. I just say that in, let's be realistic. How about you find yourself battling, man, with despair? I mentioned discouragement, but I think despair is even to another level. Like you start doubting that God even loves you. You start doubting that God cares for you. You start doubting whether or not God's word is true in your life. And you look at someone else's life and you're like, man, it seems like they're always batting a thousand. It seems like they always coming out smelling like a rose. But me, it never happens. You want a great psalm if you're feeling that way? Psalm 73. It's written, it's penned by someone under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit named Asaph. He was basically, to put it in our context, the worship leader for the children of Israel. And he's like, man, I look at everybody else and everything seems to be going great for them and they don't care about you at all, God. And for me, it seems like everything is not working out. What was he battling despair. Maybe that's you this morning. And it's an indicator that Satan's arrows are raining down on you. How about this one? And then what happens, man, you find yourself significantly battling distance, just like I talked about the arrow of division. I mean, after all, why do I want to be in God's word and hear from a God who I don't think cares about me? Why do I want to be in church with God's people singing about the things that God says he is and hearing from God's word if I don't believe he cares about me and he loves me? So what happens? Distance is created. See, when I was early on in ministry, I used to get like really frustrated from the sense of, man, why do people seem to leave the church and stop going to to church that they were involved in when they're experiencing deep problems. But I didn't understand then because that's a tactic of the enemy. What did I say the fiery darts were meant to do during ancient battle times? It was meant to cause the group of soldiers to disperse and to break apart. When you start saying to yourself, I don't want to be in God's word anymore, and I don't want to be with God's people, it is a great indicator that for whatever reason, we've lowered our shields. So here's the most important question we're going to answer today in the time we have left. What type of faith shields and heals you from the fiery arrows of Satan? Here's why I said not just shields, but heals. Because I don't want anybody to walk out of here saying, well, if I've been riddled with those arrows, if those arrows have hit me and I'm battling any of those things, well, I guess I'm a failure. I guess I guess, there's no recovering. No, 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 no. Remember, you fight from a place of victory as a follower of Jesus Christ. So can you... Be hit with those things? Absolutely, but wait a minute, there's healing in those things. The same healing that healed you from your spiritual sickness, sin, in relationship to God, can also do that in your sanctification, in your walk with the Lord. So what type of faith shields us, but if you're hit this morning, heals you from the arrows of Satan? I want to put on the screen here a picture of a Roman shield. See, this Roman shield was about four feet long and about two feet wide. It was a larger instrument of war. It was a defensive weapon, as I mentioned. It was made out of wood, and then it was covered with a heavy leather, and it was oftentimes soaked in a fire retardant type of liquid so that it would extinguish those fiery arrows that would come. But here's what else is significant about that Roman shield. It was designed in such a way that these Roman shields could actually link up with one another so that as soldiers linked their shields up, it would protect them even more when those fiery darts were coming upon them. And there's a picture of that as well, which I think is so significant. So just like the Roman shield was made of wood, and it was made of heavy leather, and it was dipped in, in a fire retardant type substance, what is our shield of faith made up of? What's it built upon? And I want to give you those things. The first thing, you know what it's built upon? You know what it's made up of? My shield of faith, your shield of faith that we're given in Jesus Christ? His presence with you. That's what my faith is made up of. That the Lord is with me. What oftentimes happens when I'm in a really hot battle and things are going on in my life, you know what I tend to doubt? His presence. You know, when I think about what Paul wrote in this letter to the Ephesians, and I think about everything that he mentions, all the blessings of theirs in Christ that are found in chapters one through three, what he's saying here, in essence, is no, 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 you have a shield of faith, the faith that says, no, 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 Lord, you're with me in the battle. Not after it's over or before it began, but your presence is with me. Why? Because you redeemed me. Ephesians 2 I was dead in my trespasses and sins. You made me alive in Jesus Christ. Why is your presence with me? Because I'm a part of your family. Think about what Jesus is named by the angels. He says his name will be Emmanuel. What's the significance of that? God with us. I don't worship like the Old Testament where I have to have a high priest going once a year to make a sacrifice for my sin, to commune with a God. No, 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 there's no distance. He's with me. I have the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me. As mystical as that is and though we'll not fully understand it, I experience it. I have the Holy Spirit in me. I have Jesus in the Holy Spirit who prays for me, Romans 8. What's my faith made of? His presence with me. And what that does is that gives me perspective in the battle. It helps me to see, okay, things are, things are difficult right now. Things are hard right now. It, I, I'm tempted to doubt. I'm tempted to have distance. I'm tempted to be discouraged. I'm tempted to be distracted and to run to other things to just make me forget about whatever it is I'm experiencing. But no, 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 no. Let me remind myself as Psalm 34, 6 says, man, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and delivered him out of all of his troubles. See, we oftentimes want to look at that verse in Psalms, and we want to say, that means out of, like they go away, but no, 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 it doesn't mean out of, it also means through them. It gives me Perspective. That when I open up his word, you know the first thing that I should be saying with the Lord who desires to dwell with me and he invites me to dwell with him. When I'm doubting God's presence, I need to remind myself, wait a minute. He says in John 11, come to me all who are weak and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Revelation 3, I stand at the door and knock. If you open the door, I mean, I'm going to come in with you. I'm going to commune with you and you with me. I'm inviting you to come and to experience my presence. So you know what I've found that works, that works for me? And I want to encourage you because it works for me. Maybe it'll work for you. Before I ever start reading God's word, you know what I ask myself Johnny, what's pressing on your soul right now? I'm actually worried about Billy or Lucas. I'm stressed out about this situation and will it work out or not. Or I'm tired. Or whatever it is. See, when I remind myself that the Lord is right there with me, Why wouldn't I tell him that? So that I can give him through the Holy Spirit opportunity to speak to what I'm feeling. Gives me perspective. And you know what else it gives me? It gives me peace. Remember this picture that I showed? Let's put it up again of the soldiers linking their shields. That's why this gathering is so important. It's not you just do it out of habit because if you probably did it out of habit, you're watching me online at best or you're not here. But the purpose of why we gather together is because we need this. I need to link my shield with you. I need to talk with you. I need to have people who I know will pray for me And you need people who you know will pray for you. And I need to know that there's other people who are going through some of the same things that I'm going through. And I need to hear stories of victory and how God worked out that in your life. Even though the situation in particular may be different, I need to be reminded of that. We need to link our shields because his presence gives us perspective and his presence also gives us peace. But here's what else our shield is made up of. Not just his presence, but his promises. Do you know there's over 7,000 promises in the Bible that God gives to his people? Do you know what oftentimes is the first thing that I am tempted to not believe in when the battle is waging hard and fast in my life? That God's promises are true. Why? Because the Satan wants to shoot those arrows of deception. Distraction, discouragement, division. Think about this. So, if you grew up in a Baptist church, you probably say this more than if you didn't. Remember the word um, amen? Heard of that word? Hopefully, you're in church. So, that word amen is literally from the Hebrew. It means this it means you are in agreement with, it's true. It's literally saying just another word for saying yes. That's what the Hebrew word means. Oftentimes we say amen at the end of our prayers. By the way, you don't have to do that. You can do that. It's not a bad thing to do that, but you don't have to do that. But why do we say amen often at the time of when we pray? It's not just so the person praying next knows we're done or so the person at the dinner table knows we're done so we can actually eat. There's, there's more of a significance for that because it's rooted in the idea that what I'm praying, I'm gonna say amen and say, this is what I believe. That's the significance of it. But you know what I find myself so often doing in my life? man? I say amen to so many things that aren't true. I watch the news. I walk away. I'm like, golly, are we ever going to see any good? And I say, amen. Nope. I can get caught up in that. Maybe saying amen, saying, is my relationship with my spouse ever going to get better? And you say amen, but not in a good way. You're saying amen because you're believing that it won't and you're affirming that in your mind. But when I step back and I remind myself of the Lord's promises, over 7,000 of them and you don't have to know every one, but some of the promises that I laid out at the beginning of this message when I quoted those verses in Psalm 27, Isaiah 59, 1 John 4, John 10, Romans 8, Psalm 34, when I'm tempted to doubt those, what do I do? I remind myself of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.20. I love this verse. It's one of my favorite verses, and it's oftentimes the most overlooked. Some of you may not even know that this is, this is in there. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, for all the promises of God find their what? Say it with me. Yes, yes in him. That why it is through him that we utter our amen to his glory. Because whenever there is a time where I want to doubt and allow circumstances to cause me to question that God's promises are true, what does 2 Corinthians 1 20 tell me to do? I have to go back and I have to say, wait a minute, let me look at the cross, let me look at the grave, and let me see that it's empty, and let me remind myself that the one thing that I can hang my coat on, so to speak, and believe when I want to doubt that God is, who he says he is, is I look and I say, no, 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 Jesus, you lived, you died, you rose again for me. That is true. Therefore, all your promises are true. My timeline doesn't determine that. But man, the enemy can destroy or seek to destroy our confidence in God. Remember when I shot those arrows out? You remember that? you're probably just going to go home and be like, holy cow, the pastor like shot arrows into the crowd. One into the ceiling that will never come back down. I think when we're tempted to doubt, here's what we need to remind ourselves about God and what he does in counter to what Satan does. And this is a part where I need your participation. So I'm going to point to you. And when I point to you, I want you to say that word, amen. Can we just practice that real quick? Perfect, you guys did a great job. Here's the first thing we need to remind ourselves. Remember, the enemy seeks to deceive, but here's the first truth. God will never deceive you. You know why? Because it says in Numbers that God will never, can't, he won't lie. I don't ever need to wonder, is God doing a bait and switch on me? Is God lying to me? Is God just being cruel to me? No, 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 God never lies. Amen. Amen. God will never distract you from reality. The enemy's always looking to distract us, but God's never gonna distract us from reality. Why? Because what he wants us to do is see reality, and we see reality by running to him. Let's turn to Psalm 63 real quick. Look at verse one. I love Psalm 63 as well. The psalmist says this, Oh God, you're my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. We've all felt that. But what do we do with that? So I looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. No, 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 I'm gonna remind myself once again, who God is, who he says he is, what he has promised. Why? Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Verse 5, my soul shall be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Literally, I was out to dinner with friends on Friday night, and I got this dessert that I had never gotten before, and I took a spoonful of that dessert, and I put it in my mouth, and you know what I did? I literally was was like, mm. and then we actually joked. I'm like Psalm 63. It's literally what that means. Now, here's what I didn't do at that dinner. Oh, I'm afraid of what my friends are going to think because I'm going to go, mm, and what are they going to think? No, because it's just a response that when we when we experience something that's rich and it's good, it has an outward response. My point is this, that, that God is never going to distract me when the battle is waging. No, no, no. You know what he's going to do? He's going to invite me. Uh, he's going to invite me to experience his presence and to experience his promises so that I can have the proper respective perspective and remind myself what is true and feed on that. Because here's what I've found in my life in those middle of the night moments when I'm freaking out. Me thinking more about what could happen never satisfies. It makes it worse. What helps when I've literally had to open up my Bible or have my spouse read scripture over me? And you know what that does? Calm me down. Why? Because the promises of God are the rich things, they're the things that nourishes us. How about this? God will never discourage you. Why? Because He's provided you joy. I mean, that's John 15. That's the verse that we have out in the coffee shop on the wall. That's significant to our culture. And how? what are we discipling people in to help people abide, walk hand in hand with Jesus as he leads the way? Why? Because apart from him, we can do nothing And so in those moments when I'm literally on the battlefield and I feel like the arrows are coming, what do I lift up? No, no, no. I lift up my shield that's made with his presence and it's made with his promises. And I remind myself, Lord, if I lower my shield, I can do nothing. But when I raise my shield and I remind myself that I'm promised to bear much fruit when I abide in you, when I commune with you, when I read your word and I apply it in my life and I talk to you about what I'm experiencing, what happens I experience joy in the battle. My joy is full. That's James 15, or John 15, verses 9 through 11. And when the enemy wants to divide, I got to remind myself God will never divide. He'll never separate himself from me. He's brought me into a relationship with him that will never end. Yeah. His promises. I don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but my shield of faith is also made up with his power in me. You know, the longer and longer that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, if I could sum up in one sentence what the Lord is constantly chiseling away in my life, is my reliance upon myself. That I'm not strong. And we live in a culture where you're told not to admit that. We live in a church for whatever reason, we live in a church culture for whatever reason in our society and in our nation where we need to put on this facade because what would people think of us if we didn't appear strong? But you know what I've found? I look and and I will continue to grow in my understanding of this till I'm with Jesus face to face. And what Paul says, that my grace is sufficient for you. And the more and more I read that verse, the more and more I understand what Paul is saying there through the Holy Spirit. I understand and grow and appreciate and love the grace of God more when I understand more and more that I'm weak. And the only way I can be strong is through the Holy Spirit's power in me. We brought in a group of pastors these past few days in to kind of just expose them to the things that we're doing in regards to discipleship in our church that is actually the fruit. We're gonna have some testimony videos made here soon to just, you can hear from that because when we gave to a Make and Mobilize initiative at the end of the year, those monies are now being used to do that, and this so one person said this, he said, you know what I'm growing in understanding? That I can't experience Christ's victory without also experiencing the battle. See, that's it's the battle that helps you understand the significance of your shield being made up with God's power. I want to close with this. Put that picture of the Roman shield back up again. You'll notice in that picture that the Roman shield had three things on it. It had eagle's wings, which the eagle was the symbol of the Roman Empire. It's what gave them identity. Like if you saw an eagle on a shield, you knew that that was the Roman army. The shield also had a lightning lightning bolts on it. Every Roman soldier's shield which symbolized the god of Jupiter, the king of the Romans' gods. It gave this idea of strength of the Roman army. And then you also saw that every Roman shield was colored red because red was the color of Rome. It symbolized power. And every shield was made up of those three things. And I started thinking about that as I was just studying the background of these weapons of war. And I thought to myself, isn't that interesting? Because what is our shield of faith made up of? God's presence. Gives us identity. Gives us belonging. What's his shield made up? What's our shield made up of? How about God's promises? There's not lightning bolts on it. No, no, no. Celebrating some God, lowercase g, and his strength. No, no, no. My shield's made up of the creator of the universe, his power in and through me. That shield was color red, symbolizing power, but my shield is made up of God's power. You know, when we introduced our Bible reading tool, the very first question in that journal that we have and if you don't have one of these you can pick it up at the welcome center. Very first question is, is what is God saying in the passage that I read? We put these together so that they could help you abide with Jesus. And I know from some you're like, "Man, I don't I don't necessarily know what God's saying in the passage." Like I'm just overwhelmed. And remember we gave you 3 questions to help you answer that main question, do you remember? If you don't, I'm going to put them up here. The questions were this and helping you understand what God is saying. Where do I see God's presence in what I read? Where do I see God's promises in what I read? Where do I see God's power in what I read? Why did we put those questions there as you abide with Jesus? Because you know what that does when you start reminding yourselves of those things? You know what you're doing? You're raising your shield in the battle. Ephesians 5, 16 says this, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Would you stand with me this morning? Lord, as we stand all over this room, as people watch online, Lord, the question is not for most of us, are we in a battle? The question is, are we standing? And so, Lord, I thank you for the shield of faith that you have given us through Jesus Christ. I thank you for its sufficiency to quench, to guard against the fiery arrows of Satan and his demons. And so, God, may we raise it up today Reminding ourselves of your presence with us, your promises for us, your power in us. And may we live in the victory that is ours in Jesus Christ. God, I thank you so much for my life and for every person's life in this room that's a follower of Jesus. Lord, that though we may be in a fire this morning, there is another one with us who will not allow us to be quenched. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.